Hey everyone, it's Erica. I've prepared something special for you. I wanna invite you to my one-of-a-kind five-day challenge where I'll be sharing how you, along with thousands of others, can start investing with confidence. You're probably thinking, Erica, I've never invested into the stock market, or I don't have a ton of money lying around. But that's exactly why I created this challenge for you. It doesn't matter if you have lots of money to start with or next to nothing. You'll discover easy and fun ways to start generating passive income, multiply your money, and create a future of financial independence without the guesswork, complexity, or risk when it comes to investing. The challenge is right around the corner, so secure your spot by clicking the link in the show notes. And by the way, this challenge is totally free. So click the link in the show notes or go to erica.com slash invest. That's E-R-I-K-A dot com slash invest. Again, that's E-R-I-K-A dot com slash invest to secure your spot. Now back to the episode. I was right there, which is exactly what we did in 2020 when we started the company. When everyone left New York and everybody said real estate is dead and life is over and we're all going to die, I gave myself one day to feel that way too. And then I was like, we're probably going to be okay. Yeah, we should still do this for sure. Everyone else is not going to do it. No one else is starting a company in the summer of 2020. Everyone's going to be hibernating and watching Tiger King all day long. I'm going to take every dollar I have and I'm going to start my own company. And I'm going to put it on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. And that's what we did. I'm not great at taking no for an answer. I don't get down on myself. You know, I paint a very clear picture of what I want and how I want to get it. And I make sure that we make it happen in some way, shape or form. Now, it's not always going to happen the way you think it will. I just do not want to be on my deathbed saying, ah, I wish I had or I should have. I don't work for me today. I work for me tomorrow. This time, two years from now on this day, where are you? What are you doing? Write it down keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself and pushing yourself to become the person you want to be versus waiting for that person to show up, in which case it's never going to happen. And then one day you wake up, you're old, and then life is over. Ryan Serhant is the star of the hit TV show, Million Dollar Listing New York, and also owns his own brokerage called Serhant. The Serhant team has closed over $4 billion in sales across New York, Miami, and LA. In today's episode, we learn how Ryan went from an out-of-work actor to convincing a TV studio that he was the most successful real estate agent in New York. He also shares the one thing he does that forces him to be successful. I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we are here with Ryan Serhant. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between six to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between six to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28. So go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com slash invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash invest. So the first thing I wanted to ask you, you have this very inspiring story of going from being a struggling actor to now this multimillionaire with successful businesses. If you were to look back and think of some pivotal moments or a shift in mindset that really got you from where you were then to where you are now, what would you point to? Well, first and foremost, and it's funny you asked me that question, it was bombing my LSATs to go to law school. Really? So I yeah, I went to a liberal arts college, right? My parents, I had to go to college to do the whole thing. I had to do a core curriculum, even though that one didn't exist at the school I went to. But my parents were very much like, you got to be well-rounded, well-rounded, well-rounded. You have to know a little bit about everything because you have no idea what you want to be. Even though at every age, you're like, I know exactly who I want to be. And then a year later, you're like, oh my God, I wanted to be that thing. And coming out of a liberal arts school, especially in upstate New York, you either go into finance 
you go to med school or you go like pre-law, right? And med school was going to be impossible for me. Uh, finance, I hated. My whole family's in finance and I just, it wasn't for me at all. I did theater and English in college. And so it's like, I guess I go to law school. I guess that's what I do. I have no idea. And I studied really, really, really hard. And I think if like, whatever the bottom score is, I got like three points above that. And then I was like devastated and went to my parents. It's like, I, I guess I'll still apply to schools. I got into like Phoenix online back when online education was not cool. And at that point I was like, this doesn't make sense. I'm not going to go to law school. I'm not going to be an attorney. I got to go to New York. I've got two years worth of expenses saved. At least I thought so at the time. I mean, I'm going to give this theater thing a try. So that was like the first had I done better on the LSAT, I probably would have gone to law school and I definitely would not be sitting in this chair right now. And I would not be, I don't know where I would be in my life, but I'd be, I don't know, an attorney, probably doing something. <laughs> so that was one. Uh, and then getting killed off the soap opera. So when I moved to New York, again, not going to be an attorney. I moved to New York. I had like 10 grand and I was like, that's so much money because I'd never had that much money in my life. I had another $10,000 in a CD right? Just sitting there collecting, uh, collecting interest. And it's like, once I go through the first 10 grand, I'll then tap into my next 10 grand. And I lived like that 10 grand at a time. And I didn't want a survival job or anything. And I just auditioned all day long, every day, anywhere that I would be seen as an actor, I would just go. Like I had to figure something out. And I didn't, I didn't want to wait tables or bartend because I knew if I did that, I would be stuck doing that forever. And then I'd wake up one day and I'd be 55 years old and I would still be waiting tables. And then I'm now a professional hostess, you know, or host, and I am not actually following my dream. And I, I think that a paycheck is by far, and I'm not the first person to say this, but a paycheck kills dreams every day. And so I got onto a soap opera through an internet reality TV show called Intern. And it was to find the next soap star of As the World Turns. Uh, and I played Evan Walsh the fourth. I crushed it. Until the writer's strike hit in 2007. And so for those who are unfamiliar for, I don't know, American TV and film and whatnot, the Writers Guild of America, like are all the writers, they go on strike every time their contract is up because they want more money. And so the writer's strike hit and anything that's scripted went on pause. And so that, that in 2007, that killed soaps. Like most soaps died then because soap operas shoot two episodes a day, right? It's a lot. And I went from being a great doctor to a doctor that started killing everybody I killed everyone. And then my grandmother wrestled me on the rooftop of the hospital that I was running at the time where I was trying to cure cancer. And the syringe that I was killing people with, with my lethal injection went into my heart and I died. And then what that really meant was that I was fired and uh, soap opera days were then over. So had that kept going, I don't know, maybe I'd still be on a soap opera today, but that didn't happen. So then it was like, shit, what do I do? And a friend said, you just get your real estate license. It's a real estate license. It's super easy. <laughs> you just go to the school. Everyone's stupid. He's like, anyone can do it, right? Real estate agents, whatever. And it's the same thing as theater. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you memorize information, right? The more information you can memorize, the smarter you're going to sound to somebody, Because right? you're not sitting there solving complex problems. They just want to know things that you then know or the internet knows. So if you know more than the internet, then you make money. I was like, okay, well, I've been memorizing information my whole life trying to be an actor. That's all I do is memorize. And then it's a game of improv. Every person you meet, you be who they want you to be and you get them to say yes, right? Improv is yes and. So that became the game and I just became addicted to it. And so I would say those, those two failures kind of put me into the world that I'm in today. Were you instantly good at real estate? No. How long did it take to sell your first place? Forever. You know, now I get young agents all the time. Now I own my own company and the whole thing. And they're like, oh God, I've been done a deal in two days. And I'm like, you little bitch. It took me like a year. It was the worst. It wasn't exactly like my friend said, right? Where he's like, just memorize information, meet people, improv, you're good. They'll pick things. Oh, totally forgot to leave this part out. That was when he told me to do that was April of 2008. Say, get your real estate license. It's awesome put apartments on the internet, people buy them sight unseen, dealing with people from Tokyo and Dubai, the whole world, it's New York City, it's wild. And he had a cool apartment and a cool suit all the time and like a nice watch, like things that just were never in the cards for me. And so 
by the time I actually got my license, my first day as a real estate agent with him was September 15th, 2008. That morning, Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy, which mm-hmm. kicked off the subprime mortgage collapse and kicked off the Great Recession. So that was date, literally, I remember being in the conference room at the first office I was at on 49th and Madison above a burger heaven. And uh, that was day one. But that was also super helpful to me, even though at the time it was scary and the whole world, I also had no money and it never had money. And so all these people kept getting out of the business because their money dried up and they weren't making commissions, they weren't selling. And like, I was like Forrest Gump, right? In the hurricane, you know, and it just out there in the water, all the smart people got their boats and put them into land, but then the boats got crushed. And I'm the guy out there with Lieutenant Dan being like, what are you talking? Everything's fine. Cause I didn't, it's not like I had a stock portfolio, like the market crashed. I didn't really, you know, it didn't click with me yeah. as a important thing. Other than I just thought most people lose their job all the time. Like all of a sudden I went from, like I went from high school to college to summer jobs, working on a ranch every year and doing general contracting work and manual labor to trying to do theater to all of a sudden being a real estate broker and having to pay attention to the world. And so I think the fall of Lehman Brothers and the start of the Great Recession was like huge world failure number three that again put me where I am today because it gave me that massive leg up when everyone else was getting out of the business. I was right there, which is exactly what we did in 2020 when we started the company. When everyone left New York and everybody said real estate is dead and life is over and we're all going to die, I gave myself one day to feel that way too. And then I was like, we're okay. We're probably going to be okay. Yeah, we should still do this for sure. Everyone else is everyone else is not going to do it. No one else is starting a company in the summer of 2020. Everyone's going to be hibernating and watching Tiger King all day long. I'm going to take every dollar I have and I'm going to start my own company. And I'm going to put it on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. And that's what we did. Were you always like this from an early age where everyone else is running away, but you see opportunity? You know, part of me wants to say yes, because I think that sounds better. The, the honest <laughs> part of me probably wants to say I think ignorance is probably one of my superpowers. I do not overanalyze, right? Analysis paralysis is like one of my bigger fears. And I watch people set up office and overanalyze everything all the time. And I'm like, I just, I don't want to be you. I'd rather make mistakes and learn from them really fast than try to get a win here and then really think about the next one and then get another win there. Right, like the, one of my favorite quotes is I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I never tried because you don't know. Like I know I probably shouldn't do heroin and I'm never going to because it probably wouldn't work out too well for me. But everything else, like what's the worst thing that can happen if I start a business or start a TikTok page or start that? Like, you know, it doesn't work. Okay, great. Well, it wasn't working when you didn't have it anyway. So, you know, you've got to bet on yourself. It just so happens that I did it all when the whole world seemed like it was collapsing. So you ended up after a year in the real estate game, selling the first place. And then what series of events happened to lead you to the TV show that you're very famous for now? So I came to New York to do theater. I got onto a soap opera on a reality TV show that was on the internet where people had to watch it. It was 13 episodes or something, and it took 12 actors. We went to a loft in Brooklyn. We auditioned every day, and the executive producer of As the World Turns, who worked for CBS, right, would fire one of us. It was awful. (laughs) It was like, I still remember. It was emotionally traumatizing. But I won, thank God, and I got the role on the show. And when I got into real estate, you know, my goal wasn't to become a real estate agent. Like I wasn't like, I want to be a real estate broker. It, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I got into real estate because I was told I could make my own hours and it was a better way for me to make money using the skill set that I already had of being personable and being able to talk to people about anything and memorizing information than bartending, waiting tables where I had to be places at certain times or doing uh, like temp work. You know, my first year in real estate, I made $9,000, $9,200, I think, um, because my focus wasn't real estate. My focus was you know, still theater. I was still trying to be in a movie. I was still trying to do TV. I was trying to do all that. And it just was, you know, they don't teach you the business of being an actor at school. They just teach you how to be a tree. So I was a really great tree when I needed to be, you know, I could be an old man real quick. So I slowly, eventually just put acting to the side over like my first year and a half in the business because I, 
trying to be an actor made me a lot less happy than trying to get deals done as a real estate agent where I also had no boss. And the businesses of being an actor and of being a realtor, which is why you see in New York and in LA, you see a lot of people who do the same thing. There's a lot of commonality there because you are an entrepreneur. Anyway, you're your own boss. You're the CEO of Ryan Serhant, the actor.com and Ryan Serhant, the real estate agent.com. And if you have that muscle where you can wake up every day, take initiative and just go hunt, you can, you can do anything anywhere. And so I slowly put off acting to the side and just started just going to the office every day and meeting clients every day and meeting strangers on the street. And like my first client base were pregnant women, like pregnant women at Starbucks, pregnant women at Saks Fifth Avenue. If you were pregnant and you had Lululemon pants on in 2008, 2009 or 2010, there was a good chance and you're on the Upper East Side that I would find you (laughs) and tell you how great you look and how you look like you need a bigger apartment. I'm not from New York. I didn't know anybody else here. So I had to meet people a different way. And then randomly in March of 2010, there was a casting call put out and curbed for the New York version of Million Dollar Listing, which was a show based in LA that followed real estate agents as they did their work. But they were looking for like the best agents in New York City under the age of 35. And I was 25, um, I think at the time. And I had just gotten into the business and I was doing like little rentals in the village, like where we where we're sitting right now. And Long Island City and Queens and the Bronx and Brooklyn. I wasn't a power broker, but I knew how to audition. And so I submitted myself and it was just an open casting call with 3,000 real estate agents at the Hudson Hotel. And nine months later, they cast the first season of that show and, uh, and I was in it and the rest is history. If you're listening, let me guess. You have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online, and because of that, her identity was stolen, and it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com slash Aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash Aura. And I'll also leave the link in the show notes. You obviously at that time didn't have that much experience in real estate yet. How were you able to audition and make it look like you were one of the top people in the city? I've always been a huge, huge believer of future you, right? Like I'm talking to you today. We're doing this podcast. This moment will be recorded, which is awesome. We'll have it forever, but it's over after this is over and we have to move into tomorrow. And I don't work for me today. I work for me tomorrow. Like Today, I I just turned 38. Ryan at 40 is my boss. That guy's life better be awesome because if it's not, he's going to be pissed. He's worse than my boss. I have to be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) If you piss off your boss, all right, great. I get to go home. At least I'm not you. But if I piss off my future self, I got to eventually grow up to be you. And that sucks. So I better not piss you off. And so I focus on future you all the time right? And thinking about the future and making sure that I'm enjoying the day and like, you know, smelling the roses on the journey, but focusing on where I want to get to instead of where I've been, right? Where you've been is what's made up where you are today and making sure you're good with that path. And so I don't know, I I think I, I just really, really keep my eye on the prize really far ahead of me. Like I even write down in my phone who I am in two years all the time. And I switch it up all the time. 
Like who I'm going to be in two years? What do I look like? What am I wearing that day? Right. And it's a good exercise for people to do. I meet with young salespeople all the time and they, they don't know where they want to go or what they want to do. I'm like, your perfect world, realistically, though, who are you today? Like, what time is it right now? Today, it's 4.55 p.m., right? We're in New York City. Uh, this time, two years from now, on this date, where are you? What are you doing? Write it down. And that is now your vision board. Put it in your phone. It's now in your pocket. It's attached to you. The electronic signals in your phone, the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, everything. If you do the work, you will become that person before those two years are up. When you did that exercise two years ago, could you have predicted that today you would be where you are at today? Two years ago, yes. I would have said that I was going to start my own company because that was in my plan. But to get cast on million dollar listing, right? To go back to your previous question, I went and I told them who I was going to be during the audition. You know, they asked me how much I sold and I just said a lot. Never lied. I'm not going to lie because that would suck. And then you're always going to get stuck and caught, right? And I'm not faking it till you make it um, at all. But I told them how much I sold and I said it was a lot, right? They asked me how I got around the city. And I said, Range Rover. Uh, I wasn't going to show them my Metro card. <laughs> but when they called me back, right, and said, hey, we want to come follow you around. It's like, I, fuck, I got to find a Range Rover. So I found a Range Rover. It's not that hard. I got one. <laughs> and then I drove it around. It's like, oh, I guess I could have this. How do I budget for this? Interesting. Okay. If Ryan, the power broker, has a Range Rover that he drives around in, it's not that hard, right? I just have to do it. And I showed them who I was going to be in two years as my audition, and they cast that guy. And then that was a terrifying moment in December of 2010, where I was like, shit, I now have to, I have to be the person I told them I'm capable of being. God damn it. <laughs> You know, it's like your parents tell you how great you're going to be and you don't believe in yourself. So you're self-deprecating and whatever this, I, I credit the show for putting like a metaphorical shotgun to my head because I told them I was going to be the number one real estate broker in the history of the world. It's like, that's what I'm going to be. Um, if you cast me on this show, um, be number one, eventually I'm going to build my own company. It's going to be the greatest real estate company in the history of the universe. And I said, okay, that better happen. And if it doesn't, we're going to put you on TV to 25 million people around the world in 160 countries. So if you fail, everyone's going to know, Sir Hans. Well, shit. Well, now I can't fail because I can't hide it. I can't hide it. And people go on reality TV all the time and they do fail and it is public and it sucks. So I couldn't do that. So I was like, God damn it. Now I got a camera that follows me around every day for the next 10 years of my life. I have to succeed. Like there's there's too many people watching me. I can't, I can't relax. I can't calm down. I have to win is the only answer. What was something that the cameras didn't catch of who you are as an individual, not on camera? Oh my God. Oh, I mean, all, I, I think if you ask anybody who works with me, I'm far quieter, far more calculated. And I really like the office. I like to work. Right, I'm kind of like a, a workhorse because I can control it. On TV, I'm much louder, much more out there. Every episode, I'm in a different costume, dressed up as a bunny, wearing a tutu. I'm jumping into people's pools. I'm like half naked on the show half the time because that was the role that, that I knew that I was kind of being cast to play was like that version of Ryan. It's not a part, but it's okay. When the cameras go on, that's the Ryan that the world wants to watch. No one's going to turn on TV and watch me do email, right? I get 1,200 emails a day, not including spam. So that ends up being a lot of my life. So I have two email assistants. If you really want to follow me around and see what I do all day, like you're going to change the channel real fast. So I think there's a lot of the real work that the show never showed because it would just not be interesting. It would just be, you know, kind of boring that way. And then a lot of stuff just in the background, like the preparation, like you have no idea what it takes to put off those open houses and the events and the parties and the transactions and keeping them alive. And especially during COVID, like season, I guess, what just ended season nine, you know, we shot for two years that season running through New York City. And then we got hit by COVID and then COVID shut us down. And then we started back up and then COVID second wave came through and then we shut back down and then we started back up and then we couldn't do things until we had the vaccine. I'm like, it's a, you know, it was tough. But on, on the show, it's like COVID lasted, I think, an episode and a half. <laughs> so I think it was, it was fine. What would you say were the three greatest things you got out of the show? I owe my career 
to Bravo and to Million Dollar Listing New York. Like I, it, when the show was casting, like, yes, I was doing real estate, but in the back of my mind, I thought maybe I'd go back to acting, but I was also looking at, at applications for like graduate school. I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do, not law school, but I was trying to figure out, do I, you know, maybe go and get my master's in real estate, maybe development. I, I didn't really, I didn't really know. And the show gave me a massive, massive platform, right? But I'll tell you, I don't know if the same situation were to happen today, if I would still do it, right? If it's a streamer, it's a different thing. But when Million Dollar Listing started in 2012, there was no Instagram, right? There's just Facebook and it wasn't even in your phone. So like you, people weren't addicted to it. If you sat down to watch TV, you actually sat down to watch TV. Like people weren't scrolling through news apps, right? There was Facebook and there was Twitter. And that's how we did everything. I was like tweeting up a storm. I don't, I don't even remember the last time I opened my Twitter app, right? Or the Facebook app for that matter. Now attention is, is very, very scattered, which is why we went so hard in 2016 into building out the real estate media company to create real estate media content for the next generation. Because when the sh- for the first couple of seasons of the show, it produced and helped us open a lot of doors for a lot of business because people would see it, right? And then as it went on and as attention started to wane, as Netflix became a thing and YouTube became much bigger and Instagram came out and then video became a component. And then all of a sudden people came up to me and were like, hey, dude, you're on that real estate show my mom watches. I'm like, oh, I have to make a change. That's great for now because mom is the one who's buying or selling the house. But if I'm not reaching you, then I'm just, going to be doing all this work on a TV show that the last generation is watching. So how can I prepare for the next generation of clients? I need to meet them where they are. And I was on vacation. Yeah, right around that time, we really got into YouTube heavily. And I, my like 10-year-old nephew, we went to a place that had no Wi-Fi, no TV. And I was like losing my mind. It's like, what am I going to do here? What is this like? It was like a lodge. It was this whole thing. And he walks in 10, plops down. He's good to go because there's cell service. And his iPad thing worked. And I was like, what are you doing over there? Like, what do you mean? I was like, There's no TV. He's like, I don't watch TV. Like, you don't watch TV? You're 10. What do you do? He's like, all my shows are in here. And it was just like, it was like one of those eye-opening, insane moments of, holy fuck, TV is dead, right? It won't be dead today, but it'll eventually just go away. And the minute live sports go to streamers, then it's all dead. And that has now happened. And so now it's just a, now it's just a slow phase out. And you see it the ratings and everything, TV shows, it just doesn't make sense anymore because no one wants to sit down and watch a certain show at a specific time. I recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband and it was beautiful. Here's everything I got for free. We got free business class tickets for an international flight, which meant, yep, you guessed it. I got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne. Then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free, and you know I don't gatekeep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free Built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent, and there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to ericataughtme.com slash built. Erica is with a K and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash built. What are you doing to think about today how you're going to stay ahead of the curve and be able to reach those 18-year-olds today who are then going to be your next purchasers? Well, I'm going to start by doing your podcast to reach your massive audience, and then I'm going to ask you for free legal advice forever um, (laughs) so that I can get free airline tickets and free Apple iPods, AirPods. What is it? AirPods. I don't know. I follow all your tips, and I send it to my assistant. I'm like, do this thing. Do this thing. Erica just said I could do this. So we have to go do it now, okay? I like, I like wait for these uncomfortable situations to happen to me in my life, like being in the airport, so I can use your tips. So I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Lawyer Erica, she told me. <laughs> she did, you know? I wonder if you're already having an effect on like 
on the companies that you talk about and the things that you find for people who are like, it got out, it got out. You know, what's funny is I went into the Apple store the other day because I did have this Apple AirPods thing go viral mm-hmm. a few days ago and they recognized me immediately. They're like, you're Erica. Yes. I'm like, yes, hello. Like, <laughs> Take then- <laughs> the AirPods and get out of our store. <laughs> and then apparently there are all of these Apple stores around the country that followers are texting me about saying that they have a dedicated line for the AirPods issues this week because they've had seen such a surge in people coming in to get their AirPods replaced for free. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like you've yeah. changed the world. And they're blaming it on me. <laughs> How did you even figure that out? Do you just like, you just sit around and you read, you read the, I mean, it's exactly what you say in all your videos, right? Yeah. You, you read the legal docs so we don't have to. Yeah. I read the fine print so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I look at the most relevant problems that people are having. And that tends to happen by looking at the most popular brands. What are people doing? They're traveling. Who are they traveling with? American Airlines, Southwest, United. Okay, let's read their terms, figure out what what the solutions are. The brands, what's most popular? Okay, Nike, Apple, Lululemon, those are the great ones. Let me look into what we can do for them. And that's kind of how I'm creating the content. Crazy, (laughs) so crazy. Super cool, very helpful actually. Educational. Yeah. How are you thinking about creating your content? It's hard for me. I because I built an audience that came out of following me from reality TV, right? So my audience is very bifurcated because some people really like the real estate, but a lot of people then really like like my family and the baby and my wife because they followed me from like my first date with her. It's like the Truman Show. Like it was. You know, for any diehard million dollar listing fans and sell like Sirhan fans and the the wedding spinoff and the renovation spinoff and all those shows, like, you know, they followed me all day. My first dates with Amelia were caught on camera. I proposed to her by shutting down Times Square that was on camera. Like back, I don't even, yeah, I don't even think there was Instagram there. Maybe there was, but like barely. It was 2014, so kind of our pregnancy journey, IVF, trying to get pregnant for three years. That was all on camera, all a storyline. So like there's audiences that want that stuff. Then there's audiences that want real estate. Then there's audiences that now want like motivational, inspirational real estate CEO stuff. So it's trying to figure out how to please everybody. You know, I get envious of creators these days who like have their niche and like their thing because you're able to provide audiences with exactly what they want. Like you give audiences exactly what they want, right? Have you ever put up a TikTok of like you going for a walk? No. Or you like cooking dinner? No. See, exactly. (laughs) So like (laughs) you don't have that problem. Um, So we're trying to figure it out. I don't know. I have a social team of 25 people, you know, as we try to figure out like what to do. They also help the company, right? There's a lot of people at the company that are not just me. But we know that real estate, entertainment and real estate content is a huge driver. And so I will always do that. And then we also know that the second bucket of thought leader is important. So we'll also do that. And then we then know that day in the life is interesting. So we'll always do that. It's kind of like three pieces of, of content that we create, but we built the firm. So I was at a brokerage for 12 years and I left to start my own company and named it after myself, like you do, uh, Sir Hans. And we are a content to commerce real estate company. We sell through content. It's, we, have, we have a fleet of videographers and they run around and they create content for real estate all day long. We put our properties, our listings, and then help our buyers by putting our stuff in front of more eyeballs than anybody else. And no one else is doing it. I don't know why. It's not like rocket science, but you know we have a massive platform and it grows every single day because when you create quality content, especially for real estate, it drives buyers. Like we just sold a $15 million townhouse through TikTok, through video. Like we list properties for over $100 million and we get clients through YouTube because there's a trickle down of information, right? On million dollar listing, to share what you're seeing, you'd have to take a photo with your phone or text somebody about what you just saw. On TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram, et cetera, it's all mobile. So you can see a video of a property you really like and you can immediately text it to a friend or to your boss or to your mom who's looking. And that's how transactions are really now done. And that's what we call like the first point of substantive contact, right? Where can we reach everybody? And we reach most people now through their kids. 
and kids have influence over the parents. And we're the only company that's that's doing it, which is why I think we we sell so much. Can we dig more into that? So can we take the audience through your different revenue sources and what what portions of your income they represent? Sure. I own the business completely, 100%. Set them up through an LLC when we started. The business is a flywheel of three separate pieces. There is a real estate brokerage, which is a tech-powered virtual brokerage. We have physical space because it's awesome. Um, And we have clubhouses in markets where we can command at least a billion dollars in sales. So first market, obviously New York, it's where I'm based. We have a clubhouse. It's the ex-Tommy Hilfiger headquarters in Soho at 372 West Broadway. And we bring in everything real estate brokerage commissions that way, right? So it's commission dollars, uh, commission fees, consulting fees, anything from real estate come through that part of the business. Then we have education. It's called sellexerhant.com. You come to us and it's cohort and asynchronous for anyone that understands digital education, meaning that You can do it on your own whenever you want, or you can do it with us. There's coaching, there's pro memberships, there's brand strategy, there's a lot. And we release a new full course about every quarter. There's mini courses every month, webinars, guides, chats, everything. There's a great team that runs that whole part of the business. And it's built a massive referral network as well, both for us and for the agents inside of that. And the revenue in that part of the business is derived from, so it's annual subscription revenue, right? So people pay to be in there monthly. You also have course sales that sell from anywhere from four ninety seven to nine ninety seven when we release them, and then ongoing. Then there's package sales, etc. There's monthly coaching for salespeople to help them build their businesses. There's pro brand strategy. We'll help you literally build your brand anywhere in the world. And this is not just for real estate agents. We do this for. We have a Formula E race car driver in South Korea that we're doing this for right now. We have someone building a fitness app in Sydney, Australia. And then obviously we have a lot of salespeople in a lot of different avenues, which is why you know we're going into sales core and then we'll go into mortgage and title and insurance, et cetera. And then we have media. So all the dollars that we then make from licensing, endorsements, um, IP, media creation, we do a significant amount of speaking, right? Like I'll do in 2022, I'll do probably just over like $2 million in speaking fees just from speaking. And then we have books right? So we're books, we do the books, the sales books, and then we have uh, TV and then probably some other things. And those are the three main drivers. Real estate is obviously the majority, mm-hmm. but it won't be forever. Education and digital education is very much the way of the future. And my main bet is that uh, the bachelor degree goes away and that by 2027, if we're just thinking about let's talk about just nationally, the United States, right? 50% of the workforce will consider themselves in some part, a part of the gig economy. Right now, it's about 1.1 billion people worldwide. And so as that continues to be the case, and as younger people grow up and don't want to go and get student loans and don't want to be W2'd and want to just work for themselves and do whatever that means, right? They're going to need to learn how to sell somewhere. And that's going to be us. And that's what we're really building. With the way you're thinking about the growth of the EdTech platform, how are you allocating your time? I have 70 employees as of today. We bring on a new employee at this point, like our growth scale, we bring on a new employee about every other day. We have about 200 agents now and we're bringing on an agent about once a day in terms of kind of how we're scaling at the moment. My time, I, and I have people who run each of the businesses. Education is run by Kyle Scott. Media is run by Cody D'Ambrosio. Brokerage is myself, but also Natalie Batevsky and my kind of brokerage team that run that side of the business. And I am CEO of basically the holding company that owns the three main drivers of revenue. And I operate and oversee and manage. So Tuesdays are a big education day. Mondays are a big brokerage day. Wednesdays are a big media day. Thursdays and Fridays are all out. Like tomorrow's Thursday, I go to Naples tomorrow morning. We're doing content and media in Florida for the first half of the day. And then we have a B2B deal with a brokerage in Naples at the end of the day. And I give a speech there. Uh, Then Friday morning, I fly back. I think I'm in appointments doing real estate first half of the day and then managing the second half. And so I would probably say it's, it's split relatively pretty evenly at the moment, maybe weighted a little bit more on the real estate side, but it's, it's about leveraging and hiring great people, like overpaying for great talent, right? 
like the minute I learned that it wasn't all me, even I, I thought I was the best and I, like no one can do it better than me. Um, that's never true. And if you can find great people to work with you who believe in your mission, you can scale so, so, so much faster by just building, you know, even as like my first hire ever that I paid was a driver. Like, and at the time, well, one, I'm in New York. And so I would never drive here to get to appointments. Where would I park? Right. But when I would go into the subway, I would come out super sweaty and I would lose service and it would suck. And then I'd be stressed out the rest of the day going in and out and in and out. Like, how do people do this? Oh, they have drivers. Oh, who has drivers? Hedge fund managers, right? Billionaires have drivers. Like 27-year-olds don't have cars and drivers, especially those who can't afford them. But I've always budgeted expenses by saying, okay, I'm an independent contractor. I'm a salesperson. How much do I need to sell to afford that? I need to make more money and I need to grow my business. Okay, let me really back out the time. How much time do I spend in the subway every single day? I like did this math. All right, on average, I spend about an hour and 10 minutes a day in appointments. That times five, right? Times four, times 12. Holy shit, that's the amount of time that I'm stuck in the subway without cell service. And this was back then. There's cell service in the subways now. What is my time worth? Let's figure that out. How much money do I want to make this year? Let's back that out as an hourly wage because I don't get paid hourly. Okay, now let's multiply that by all the time I spend in the subway. How much am I paying to ride the subway, really. It's not the $2.20 or whatever it is to go in the subway, because I I don't take the subway anymore. And I saw what that number was. That number was like three times what it costs to get a car and get a driver. And it's like, well, then it's just math. And all I have to do is I have to sell two extra apartments on average a year to afford this driver. And all of a sudden I had a car and a driver and it scared the shit out of me. And there was no way I could afford it. It was like, how am I going to do this? A year later, I'm like, why didn't I get this before? Right? Like I've always pushed myself into financial corners to force myself to become future me a lot faster. It's like when I bought my first apartment, like I was looking for, I was like, I don't want to pay rent anymore. And I'm a real estate broker. I should probably own something. Right. I think that's a good thing. And my budget, I was like, maybe, all right, like a million, like a million and a half. And then I saw this penthouse apartment in Soho that was awesome. And it was $4 million. And I was like, nah, I don't think I should do that. It's like, maybe there's a way I could figure out how to do it. And so I bought it for 3.6. I remember my parents were like devastated. And you're like, you, it, what is you, are you going to, you're, you're going to go bankrupt. You have to move home. Now it's just one of my rental properties, right? And I had the same fear when I bought my townhouse and then renovated it. And, you know, now I'm like, nah, because you just keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself and pushing yourself to become the person you want to be versus waiting for that person to show up, in which case it's never going to happen. And then one day you wake up, you're old, and then life is over. And that is my biggest fear, the fear of wasted potential. Yeah. I think it's very funny how you describe time and particularly the opportunity cost of time and how you justify paying for these things. Because I very much think of it the same way, even something as cleaning the house. I used to do it. I used to hate it. And then I realized at a certain point, wait, why am I spending three hours doing this when I could be making more money doing something else and paying someone a fair wage to clean the house? Of course. And so these little things, time is very important. What other things are people getting wrong about time? Why are most people not as efficient as Ryan Surian? Because they... Think of time as a free commodity that they've had since the day they were born. I have this thing that I follow called the thousand minute rule where you have 1,440 minutes a day, right? We all do. We all have the same time. You have the same time that I have the same time. Oprah has the same time. Bezos. Everyone has 24 hours, okay? We're all the same time. So how many minutes a day do I have to be productive? Now, let me just say a caveat here. Like I am kind of crazy, And I do understand that there are different ways to live life and you don't have to think this way, okay? But if you are interested in time hacking, then we would get along, (laughs) okay? So remove sleep, food, kissing your spouse, right? Swiping through social here and there and you're left with about a thousand minutes. And if you think about it as not a thousand minutes of free time and if you don't think about it as just another Tuesday, but that every day you wake up as the CEO of your own bank of time, and that's $1,000. Why on earth would you ever throw out 10 bucks? 
I don't care how much money you have. Like, that's just crazy. And the more and more you think about it that way, and you can put it into your calendar, and you can program your brain to think this way, the more you start to not be a psychopath, the more you start to really value your time and work really, really, really efficiently. It also works really well to get over failure, heartbreak, and loss, right? Like one thing that I will still do to this day is like you can create memory muscle, right? Muscle memory for Mm -hmm. getting over things, right? Like for example, you lose a big deal or something bad happens or your boyfriend breaks up with you, right? Use time as your asset, not associating it with money, but go into your calendar 30 days from today at the same exact time and put a calendar invite in your phone and say, how do you feel about Brian? How do you feel about losing the deal at 123 West 23rd Street? It's going to suck. And it's going to, you're going to cry and you're going to hate it. You might quit, whatever. I guarantee you by the time that calendar invite surprises you in 30 days, you're going to be like, Brian? Oh, that son of a, fuck that guy. I moved on. I'm on my fifth point. Whatever, right? The more you do that, your memory is going to understand the next time you go through loss and you physically go to write that calendar invite, you're going to feel better in half an hour. It's not going to take you 30 days anymore or a week because your brain is going to say, oh, wait, we've done this before. When things that make us sad go into a calendar invite, we know that time heals all wounds and it used to take me a month. It used to devastate me. I used to throw out thousands and thousands of dollars of my minutes. I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to use those minutes to make up for whatever negative feeling and use those negative feelings as fire. Don't ignore them, right? And so I think I I use those thousand minutes incredibly well, especially with budgeting time. Like I'm very, very budgeted. I think sometimes to a fault because sometimes I probably don't leave enough time to just let things breathe. Like I don't have a whole lot of white space in my calendar, but it also means that I get done in a day, what most people probably do in three. And then I can move much faster so that, yes, I do a lot now. And yes, days might be stressful now, but it's like that age old entrepreneurial saying of, I would much rather live my current days now, like most people won't. So I can live the rest of my life as future Ryan, like most people can't. What else besides the time hacking do you think that you've done successfully to lead you to where you are today? I think I'm very aggressive, very relentless with what I want, and I go after it for the most part, right? I'm not great at taking no for an answer. I don't get down on myself. You know, I paint a very clear picture of what I want and how I want to get it, and I make sure that we make it happen in some way, shape, or form. Now, it's not always going to happen the way you think it will. For example, I moved to New York to get on TV, and I did it for a second in a soap opera until they killed me and I got fired. And then I had to go become a realtor to pay the bills. The worst thing ever. Who would ever want to become a realtor? But I kept that in the back of my mind that one day I told myself, I want to be on TV. There would be a casting call for a TV show based on real estate agents. Okay, this is weird. All right, but I know how to do the audit. I know how to be on camera. Let me go figure this out. And then there you go, right? Because I never lost sight of kind of the, 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 the goal. Right? It's like you want to have firm goals and soft plans because the plans can change all the time. COVID could hit like anything. You can meet a new person that changes how you're going to get to that goal, but you want to pick those firm goals and know where you're getting. And I think a lot of people don't actually set real goals and dreams for themselves or they do it. And it's unrealistic, right? Like I was with a guy yesterday. He's like, dude, Emrata, I heard she's getting a divorce, dude. She's my next wife. I'm like, that's an unrealistic goal, buddy. No way that happens for you. You need to take it down a notch and get realistic and then go for something that's realistic. That's a pretty extreme example. Yeah. What are your metrics for success around? So I I know some people say, when I hit this net worth, I'll be happy, I'll be done. Do you have those metrics for success? No, to be completely honest with you, the answer for me has always just been more. Like, I'll know I've reached max success when I just can't do anymore. And right now, I'm definitely not at that point. Like, there's just, I see the runway in front of us. It's it's massive. And so I have to go down it. Like, I'm not the kind of person who's going to see the runway ahead of me and say, eh, 
I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work for me or maybe I'll just go this way and get a regular job and lead a normal life. Like, I don't know. Life is short and we're all going to die. So like, like I, I, I just, I just do not want to be on my deathbed saying, ah, I wish I had, or I should have. Like there are too many people who have robbed the world of their amazing talents because they just didn't try. And like, that sucks for all of us is we could have met that person and they were awesome or they could have shown us that incredible talent and they never did or they should have built that company, but they just didn't think they could have or someone else told them they shouldn't do it or they just got so down on themselves. Like you remove all that and look what we can do, right? And I think more and more people are starting to do that. And it's what makes me the most excited about the future. As scary as it is, there is now no limit to where imagination meets initiative, You know, like it used to be that you could dream about anything and that was it. Maybe it becomes a movie. Now, the tools are there and they get reinvented every day and every day and every day. It's wild to think that our imaginations matched with initiative can actually become reality. And maybe that will be what kills us all. I don't know, but who cares? It's going to happen anyway. So we might as well be wrong for the ride and do as much as we possibly can. This has been amazing. I want to end this off with a little tradition we have. So this is called the Erica Taught Me podcast, but really today is about Ryan Taught Me. So what do you want people to be able to walk away from this podcast saying, Ryan taught me this? That if your AirPods are malfunctioning, you can go to Apple and they will give you a free pair and you just have to say, I know this because lawyer, lawyer Erica reads the fine print because, so I don't have to. That's what I want people to take away from this. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we talked about everything and anything. I think anyone who's listening, any idea you have is a complete and utter possibility. It's not as hard as you think it is, and it's not as expensive as you think it is. You just have to try it. And if I could pass on that quote, that I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I never tried, if that can influence one person who's listening to go out there and do something and try something that could then set their life on a different path than they ever possibly thought, then I think that's super, super exciting and great for them and then great for everyone. I'm all about growing the pie. Like It's not about taking a, a bigger piece of the pie. Let's just grow the pie for all of us and then we'll all be in a much better spot, you know? Love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the very first episode of Erica Taught Me. I spent the last two and a half months traveling to three different continents to record the podcast, and I'm so excited that we're finally launching and you'll get to listen to it. I really hope that you'll enjoy it and be able to learn from it. Because this is a brand new podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you could hit the follow button wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you have time, please leave a review for the podcast. It really helps us out. A new episode of Erica Taught Me is released every Tuesday, so I'll talk to you next week.